Steve himself has really, he spends the time to engage with me, I think in a lot of ways that CEOs don't engage. And for me, mm. that's uh, it's so motivating to have somebody in your corner and driving and, and investing in you. And so he really has, he motivates me every day. This is Taking the Lead, a podcast for B2B tech professionals, leaders, and executives who want to learn from female icons in the tech industry. In each episode, host Christina Brady interviews women who are driving revenue for some of the most respected tech companies in the world. Are you ready to get inspired? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady. I am the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly. If you have not heard of Sales Assembly, we are the one-stop shop for B2B SaaS tech companies to scale. We help your individual contributors all the way up to C-suite with everything that they need to succeed and grow without taking up a giant chunk of the budget. And now that we have that out of the way, I am very excited to welcome Amy to the show. Amy, welcome. Thank you, Christina. Excited to be here today. Yay! Me too. Me too. I I feel like everyone listening gets tired of me saying how excited I am, but it's real. I wouldn't say it if it weren't true. (laughs) And so you are currently the Senior Vice President of Sales at MedTrainer. But if I am looking at your background, one, (laughs) I'm loving it. You have been an executive for a long time. Tell us your story and how you got where you are. I have. Thank you. So I have an interesting story. It did not start the way I think that most sales executives or executives in SaaS businesses start. I was a social worker for 10 years. And prior to becoming, or at least getting into the sales world, I had worked in a number of nonprofits, group homes. I was a corrections officer for a number of years when I was very young. And so that really led me down a path to engage and talk about grants and fundraise and network. And I was lucky enough in one of my last positions as a social worker to have a really great mentor who said to me at one point, you really should get into sales. And thank God for her, because had she not taken an interest in me, I don't know that I would be here today. And so after that, it's just been an amazing 22 years of sales and sales experience. And moving up, down, across the ladder in my career and lots of experience and and lots of amazing times. This is amazing information. (laughs) Do you see me just processing that? I can imagine people who report to you were like, we are not going to give her any slack. She's not going to take it. She was not raised to take on some BS. So did you start to identify that in the field that you were in, you were unhappy or you were unfulfilled and you wanted a change? What happened there? I think I got into social work mainly because of my background, which as a child growing up, it was uh, frantic is a good word to use it. A lot of transition, a lot of movement. And I did spend some time in group homes and, you know, having done that, I really wanted to give back, really, really wanted to. And going to school for that was really important to me. As I got into it, 
and had been spending, uh, I think I had been into it for about 10 years when I really started to feel the effects of it. And, you know, talking to people, talking to children, working through their issues, giving of yourself to that level can become very draining, of course, and very overwhelming. And I think I got to a point where I realized that I wasn't giving uh, what I needed to give to support the people that I was trying to support. And I also wasn't getting enough from it to fill my cup. And so I wasn't serving others in the way that I wanted to be serving. And I wasn't getting served in the way that I needed to be served in order for my cup to be full to continue to do that. And once I recognized that, again, some really great feedback from some mentors and people around me, it really allowed me to take a step back and try something new. And that's really what sales was. It was something new, something I had never thought that I would go into. And it's done some amazing things for my life and my career. I think to me that's the most fascinating about sales is the folks that come from different backgrounds and say, you know what you should do is you should be in sales. It really (laughs) is this... It's like this incredible catch-all industry and you have to practice it and you have to train and you have to get Very good much. at it. But man, the point of entry in that field is incredible. And hearing even just a little bit about your story, I think it's remarkable that you went from being essentially in the system to wanting to help others. I, I have to feel like that's somewhat rare and just shows your strength. I'm not surprised that you have gotten to the level of executive that you have because you bring some tenacity with you that I think a lot of people don't have just based on your experience. And I imagine you carry that with you in every role. Absolutely. And I do want to say, I am an extremely lucky person. I have an amazing group of people that have been around me since I was very young. Friends, acquaintances, relatives that have supported and helped really level me up as a person and keep me focused on the right things. That was probably key to me surviving and being in the place that I am today. It's been an amazing journey. I think there's always questions about, would you have gone back? If you could, you go back, would you go back and change anything? Right. And my response is always, no, absolutely not. I have phenomenal friends. I have a phenomenal career. I am surrounded by people that I've known since I was, you know, 12 and 13 years old who are still part of my support system and still are part of that connection. And every aspect of my life up until today has continued to help me elevate myself, those around me, and really drive, I think, my internal belief system and, you know, my internal ambition and that movement forward in my life and my career. And it really, I couldn't have done it without the support system that I have. I mean, it's great that you give a shout out to your village because I think the more we can focus on how much we need each other through life's up and downs, the more we just admit that. Absolutely. The better off we are going to be. And so coming from such different industries, what were some of the first things that you noticed going from one industry to another, even just culturally? Did anything kind of shock you? It was 
it, it definitely was a shock to the system. You know, my last role doing social work was really serving younger children, teaching, training, and transitioning to the mortgage business, which was my first Ooh. sales role, was a completely different experience. <laughs> I know it was a shock to the system. I would say that I had no concept walking into it what it was going to be like. I learned a lot. I definitely had moments of asking myself, what the heck did I do? This is crazy. This is, where was my head at? Wait a minute. I just want to go back. But that's, my nature is not to go back. My nature is to push forward. And when I feel that I am in a position where it's not working or something's not going right, I have a tendency to dig in deeper versus walking away from it. And so what that opportunity gave me was a network um, of people that I met through this entire process that then helped me, right, or offered me the opportunity to move to the next role. And that really has defined my career, which is every time I've worked for a company, it's the next company or the next position really does come from that networking, that communication, that engagement that I've experienced at every company I've been at. Oh, yeah. And, and why did you choose the mortgage industry? It's and coming from somebody <laughs> I got into my very first sales job was financial services. I was selling insurance okay. and financial products. Why was it mortgage for you? At the time, it was primarily because it was a booming industry. It was it, the jobs were plentiful. And yeah. I knew somebody that, again, I knew somebody that had a position open, was willing to take a chance on me, and and the money was good, right? I was making, in my last social work position, I think I was making $36,000 a year, right? I was 28 years old, 27 years old, and the opportunity to make significantly more was there. The offer was there, and I had no idea what I was doing. So I took it and ran with it. Yeah. I mean, the fact that people <laughs> in those kinds of positions are paid so little. I know. It's like teachers and social workers, just when you hear the amount of money these people oh. make and yet the unbelievably emotional and physically, mentally demanding job that that is as a child Absolutely. formerly who needed to take advantage of some social work in my own childhood situation. I can't imagine hearing what you had to hear every day and taking that home. And then also having to probably worry about how you were going to pay your bills. Oh, all the time. All the time. Yeah. Again, I'm extremely lucky that in times where it didn't quite, you know, that I remember making 600, taking home a paycheck of $600 every week. I think it's what it was. And it was, I was lucky enough that I had a support system that when it wasn't enough, I had a great group of people that were willing to help when help was needed. And so it that really defines how I am today with the people around me, with uh, and anybody that I can support and help because we've all been there. We all need a little bit of assistance. And I was lucky enough to be on the receiving end of that several times. I keep hearing you talk about how lucky you were <laughs> when describing 
like these really objectively difficult times in your life mm. and in roles that you have. And there is something about your paradigm where you view things in a way that to me is so progressive and so unbelievably authentic. And knowing now that you're in an executive leadership seat at a B2B tech SaaS company, one thing that there's no shortage of are people <laughs> feeling like they are unlucky or like yes. things are not fair. And it's certainly never perfect in our industry, right? Like it is always Correct. a work in progress. We can always do better. But I, you keep giving me goosebumps talking about these things that most people feel lucky they've never had to experience. And then you talking about how lucky you were <laughs> as you went through it. How do you bring that experience and that paradigm to work to help people reframe their minds in this industry? I imagine you have to do that. Constantly, constantly. Yeah. And I think it's really believing and understanding how fortunate you are to be in the position that you're in and that you have the opportunity every single day to make that day the best day possible. And, you know, we've all been in a situation where, I mean, everything's coming crashing down. We feel like it's the end, right? And, you know, from the sales side, it could be that you're not hitting your number, that you aren't getting, I mean, you're just getting no's, right? Constantly no's. No, 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 no. And that can feel really soul crushing at times. I know I've been there. I think the key is to remember and think about what you're grateful for, where you've been, where you want to go, who you can support, who supports you, what the opportunity is in front of you and not lose sight of that. Because if you get caught up in what has already happened, then you're not looking forward to what could happen. And I'm a big believer in that. I very rarely look backwards, mainly because if I'm spending my time looking behind my shoulder at what already happened, I'm really not looking forward to design or think about what's going to happen next. And I find that those who spend a lot of time looking backward really struggle to be able to look at the opportunity in front of them. And so I've spent a lot of time really communicating that, talking about growth mindset, what that means, how to look at every challenge as an opportunity and to keep moving forward. Well, and coming from you, again, the word authentic keeps coming to mind because you're not necessarily somebody who is coming from a life of privilege and silver spoon. You're coming from working in really difficult jobs. It sounds like from at least the little bit that you've said, that you even had somewhat of a tumultuous childhood. And so how often do you share your story in order to be able to inspire people and say, take it from me, you can be okay and you can find sure. happiness? Do you find that you use that to help people understand where you're coming from? I do at times. It's a really interesting thing because my background, if we really get into it, right, is actually really scary for a lot of people and they can't connect to it. What I try to do is deliver the as much as I can so that there is a level of understanding and our people, our team, our group can really engage with where what I'm talking about, where I'm going with it. I think sometimes you do have to mitigate 
the authenticity of your entire experience with what people can actually receive and right <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and and most people won't have the experiences that I had, and that's okay. Uh, everybody has their own individual experience. So what I try to do is give enough so that people can really connect with it. It's not too scary, and they can understand that challenges because that's really at the core, right? Challenges can be overcome if you allow yourself to be in the right mindset to move forward, right? To drive past. And so I do try to share my experiences as much as possible. I've been very lucky to be a part of a number of women's groups and, you know, other groups that have allowed me to share my story and engage and hopefully inspire others. And so, uh, you know, when asked, absolutely, but probably more often than not, I try to share aspects of it that I think will impact and engage. And that had to take a little while to figure out the right balance because oh, I find yes. <laughs> folks with a story, and those are the ones that I gravitate toward, is there's something that is driving you that, to your point, maybe not everyone can relate to, but there is something about knowing how to use your authentic background and knowing when to do that, do you feel like you've always been able to get that right? Or have you had oh, to yeah. constantly do trial and error? <laughs> like I'm in the same boat. There's times I've overshared and been like, that was an overshare. And I'm sorry, I'm going to pull it back. <laughs> you know? Oh, how yeah. Did you find, how did you find the balance if you have? You know, it's interesting. I don't know that I've ever found the balance for it. Probably what I did for a number of years, especially moving into the professional world, was not share it at all. I don't think I ever spoke about it for probably the first 10 years. I, you know, I worked for a lot of corporate, you know, just a, a lot of very corporate, very professional places that didn't really encourage that type of engagement. And that's just, that's okay. It's just the way that those companies are or were. But what I've found as I've moved through my career, and it's been an interesting experience in probably the last 10 years of really trying to find companies and partners that allow me to be me. And really, so that I don't have to feel like I have to be somebody else or that I can't share if I want to share. I mean, I was really lucky in my first, I always call it my first real sales job where, you know, past the mortgage industry, past a couple of other things. And, you know, I started working for yellowpages.com and, and right at the beginning of my career. And I was lucky enough that there were a number of mentors in that business that allowed me to really just be me all day long, every day. And it's an experience that I thought wasn't possible again. And once I moved into more, um, I think more scaled companies, right? The expectation is you come to work, you do what you do. And this is a, you know, professional experience and you keep your personal at home and, you know, work is work. What I have found probably over the last eight to 10 years is that, and and it's become more real every single year, which is that I don't want to zip on an Amy suit every single morning and walk into an office 
spend eight to 10 hours there, if not more, and then go home and have to zip off the Amy suit that I had to present to everybody else. And it's partially the reason that I moved to med trainers. You know, I was given an opportunity to really embrace who I am and then allow that authenticity to embrace the rest of our team and allow them to be themselves. What that means is that we're all a little bit messy because humans are messy and, and that's okay. It really is okay. It's been an amazing experience and evolution over the last 10 years, but definitely, and that was a long-winded question or answer to your question, but it, at the end of the day, it's, it has become more important as the years have gone on and I've gotten better at being more open and transparent and authentic about who I am. And I always say to the team, if you ask me a question, I will tell you, I will tell you the answer. Doesn't mean I'm necessarily always going to, you know, come to a meeting like, here's everything you need to know. But it does mean that if you want to know anything, I, a hundred percent, I will tell you anything you, anything that you have questions about, but it's been really eye-opening. And I would say soul opening over the last couple of years to be able to connect with a group of people, be myself, good, the bad, and the ugly, because there it is not pretty all the time, <laughs> right? But I think that's what makes me a better leader than I was a year ago, even two years ago, or three years ago, four years ago, and I'll be a better leader next year. For having you know that opportunity to engage at that level, I mean, th- when you talked about the Amy suit, mm. and the uh, just makes me think about the masks that we wear, and the first couple of times in a professional setting that I wound up sharing little snippets of my own story, I remember were almost happenstance and on accident because it became unavoidable. So, like you. I knew that I had this childhood story and trauma that wasn't necessarily palpable, especially in the workplace and potentially not appropriate to your point to be like, hey, just so everybody knows. (laughs) And one day I was engaged to get married at a previous job and somebody on the floor asked me like, oh, do you think you're going to stay here? Where do your parents live? And I said, well, actually, I'm good, probably going to stay here. And I was like, but both of my parents are passed away. And I said, oh, my God, I had no idea. I said, no, 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 no. It's fine. You know, tried to shut. I was like, no, right. no, it's fine. They were like, when did your parents pass away? And I was like, well, you know, my mom when I was 20 and my dad when I was 21. They're like, so you're you're going to get married without your parents? And I was like, well, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. like, and then I realized I'm right. on the floor and everyone can hear. And then people mm-hmm. started leaning in. And before I knew it, I started talking about how what had happened to me in my past mm-hmm. impacted me in my future, but in a professional setting, it's what a bad day actually means to me and how I right. look at a bad day versus somebody else. Because I've had oh. a bad day. So mm-hmm. when I miss my quota or when I get mm-hmm. really, really rough feedback or when something unfair happens, I'm just putting it through this other filter. And then to your point, I realized this is a part of who I am and I can actually make it mean something. Like yes. I have it right here, written yes. down, where it's like- I love it. You have you have to make the things in your life mean something so that you don't feel like you're stepping in and out of your authentic self. And so what has exactly. it meant? How, what has it meant for your teams and the people reporting to you to have somebody who is not afraid to let them be who they are? What do you how do you quantify the impact of that? 
Wow, that's a great question. I don't know that we have or I have, right? I really look at how people are engaging outside of me to gauge what my impact is, right? And we're always going to go through ups and downs and numbers and you know what I mean? We're scaling as a business, so it's not pretty all the time, that's for sure. But I do look at the relationships and the transparency and the comfort level of our team to communicate to all people in the organization, right? I try to drive super flat organization as much as possible because I think that's really important. I don't think that there should be an enormous amount of red tape to get to the person who has to answer the question. And I think there's a very high level of comfort to do that because people are engaging at such an authentic level and being themselves and they know each other and they understand for the most part what everybody's about because everybody has spent the time to get to know each other. And I mean, we're growing. So the biggest challenge right now is how do you keep that engagement right across the organization, not just on the teams that I directly impact, but the teams across the company to make sure that we are allowing and engaging and driving that continued communication and engagement and that feeling of authenticity across the organization. And you know, I spend a lot of time with a lot of other, you know, with peers, with leaders, with the downline, with the upline, with, with all of us really talking about how to engage a little bit more or offering opportunity to, you know, connect across or, you know, department lines. And my general goal is to bring everybody together as much as possible. And, you know, it's hard. It's not easy. But I wish I could give you a, a number <laughs> that could say, here's how What's we the can, number? right? I know, gosh, I love a good number, but there isn't <laughs> one right now, right? I do a lot of surveys. We do a lot of team meetings. We do a lot of just engaging activities. And I always encourage our managers and our, you know, supervisors and our leads and even, you know, across the board to really take the pulse of the team as a whole, ask the questions. If you don't know, ask the questions. And so, you know, we've all had feedback that we don't love, but you can't be afraid of it. You just, right. you can't be, right? And so if you're afraid to ask the questions, there's a good reason for it. And so we've just got to, we've just got to get in there. And the more we ask the questions, the more we receive the feedback, the better off we are long-term to help us build the business in the best way possible to support our employees. My gosh, yes. You can't be afraid to get the feedback. You also can't be afraid to give the feedback because that also happens. Yes. Do you feel like there's an opportunity, especially for companies in our industry, to formalize training around authentically communicating? Like, do you think that is its own professional lane that people should get in more often? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we always talk about radical candor and how important that is. Love it. Love it. 
We're actually, it's one of the books that's on my list this year for us to engage with our team on. Now that we've added 18 more people to the sales team and we've grown across the organization because I think it's so important for people to understand, one, how to communicate, but then how to communicate really authentically, transparently. And all of this comes with being confident with who you are, being confident in what you're communicating and owning your space and just being yourself. And one of the things, you know, we're in the process of redoing our core values and restructuring some of this stuff, which is an ongoing evolution, right? It should be. It should be. Absolutely. For everybody. Absolutely. But one of, and as we've been going through this process, one of the core values that I said is the non-negotiable, this is the one time I will say it's the non-negotiable, is contagious authenticity. And the reason that I think that is such an important core value is because it is contagious. The more that we allow ourselves to be authentic and have real conversations and talk about the things that are really important to us, whether it's at home, whether it's in the business, whatever it is, I think that spreads, right? Just like negativity can spread, positivity can spread, authenticity can spread throughout the organization. And it's been really exciting to see that evolution. I talk about it on every interview. I talk about it with, you know, every type of team meeting or group meeting that we have, because it is really important for us to continue to evolve in that space. Well, you're talking about how companies can and should build culture. And the fa- I'm right. going to double tap on saying we are revisiting this because if companies don't do that, <laughs> your culture is stale. Times have changed. But right. I always say to look at culture as building your we are and we are not statements. Correct. And then people can live by that. Like yes. as your company, what's your culture? It's not fun. Like the culture's <laughs> not fun. That's just cool stuff, right? <laughs> But it's, we are authentic. Right. We yep. are always operating of high integrity. We are accepting of the people exactly. around us. We are not mean. We are right. not aggressive. We are not dishonest. And it's, that's how you build it. And how often do you think companies should revisit Ooh. their culture and value statements? I know. It's, it's pretty point. often. You know, it yeah. was in, it's interesting. We've talked about it quite a bit. I would say every two years, at least, depending on how fast you're yeah. growing. Right. Yeah. Because if you're growing at the clip that we are, you know, it could be 12 months from now when we have to just level set and say, okay, are, are these the right core values for where we are today? I think there will always be a couple that carry with us, right? That are just core to the company, core to all yeah. of us. But some of those will change and they need to change as we're scaling the business to make sure that they really hit on what's important for the business and for the team today, right? Versus what what worked a year or two ago. I mean, two years, as we've Mm -hmm. just learned, a lot can change. So much. (laughs) In two years. And not just internally at the company, but external. The world, things happen, things change, and we have to change how we show up and interact in that world. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Well, this has been an unbelievable conversation. You've left me curious, which is (laughs) always my favorite thing. I feel like after this, me and everyone's going to ping you and be like, I want to hear your story. So we got to get you doing, we got to do a TED Talk. 
I'm right. nominating you right now. We're going to do a TED Talk. We all want to hear it. I want to be inspired by you some more. But for now, let's make our way over to the rapid reveal section, Ooh. if you are open to it. Yes, let's do it. Okay. okay, so rapid reveal. I've got five questions for you. It's going to help the listeners get to know you a little bit better. You have 60 seconds or less to answer each. But if you break that rule, nobody cares. <laughs> I just say it's like a fake rule. Okay, number one, what is one skill that you're looking to develop? executive presence and board really? presentation. Yes, absolutely. This it I am nervous as heck right now. And oh. and so I'm I love it if I'm not showing it, but it is definitely one skill that I continue to focus on and need continuous just training, engagement on and feedback on so that I can yeah. continue to get better. For sure. Well, cuz my gosh, your presence is there. It's how you feel when you you're like, "Oh, it's <laughs> I want to change how I feel because you're doing, I mean, if you're nervous right now, you're faking it great. Can't Check even work. tell. All right. Yeah, I, I think I did it. Cause I'm sweating awesome. profusely, but I did Totally. It. Palms are sweaty the whole nine yards. So this is great. <laughs> yes. What is an irrational fear of yours? An irrational fear. <laughs> Spiders. I mean, it's, it's the stupidest thing in the world, but spiders, I would tell you scares the heck out of me all spiders all like spiders one of them they freak me out it's i think growing up in florida spiders oh. any kind of creepy crawly fire ants any of that i trust me the list could go on but it's really spiders i have no reason to be afraid of them they haven't hurt me i have no idea but right yeah don't like them it's just mm -mm. the way they way they look there mm -hmm. they're there it's a pretty common horror trope you know yes. like we've been raised <laughs> to not like probably them. Yeah, I was at the pet store with my son the other day. He has like a little hobby fish tank and we're walking. And he's looking to pick out. We needed a new Pleco. It's a fish thing. You know, they eat the <laughs> algae, whatever. We're walking by and the pet store had like a tank right there with a, just a giant tarantula in it. Sorry if I'm evoking your irrational fear. Mm -mm. And this child was like, mommy, it's a pet spider. Can I pet it? And I was like, you will no. not. And I didn't want to pass it on to him, but I was like, yeah, it's a spider. And he's like, it's so fluffy. And I was like, sure is. Yep. Sure is. What do we do? And I knew he was going to ask, like, can we get one? So I just I moved him along quickly. But like. <laughs> you knew you were going to end up with a tarantula. I know. Like, I was like, I'm going to end up with this giant bug in my house. <laughs> we can't do it. I don't want no. it in my house. No, no, no. Ugh. Nope. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> All right. Describe your perfect day. My perfect day would be surrounded by friends and family somewhere near the water, preferably Hawaii. That's, that's mm. what it would be. I just my tribe, my people that I can spend an entire day with all together. It's, yeah, that sounds amazing. Amazing. Well, if this Hawaii trip happens, <laughs> consider me. I mean, on. I'm one of your friends yeah. now. So I'm absolutely gonna, okay, come on down. <laughs> Join you on that perfect day on the beach in Hawaii. Hands yes. down. Yes. Love it. Number four, who is the last person that motivated you? I would say the last person that motivated me was Steve Gallion, who is the CEO of Med Trainer. He really has taken the time, the interest, the investment in me as a person and as an employee to really drive me at the things that will scale me and help level me up. And, you know, I, I, even from just building this company, 
it motivates me every single day. There's never a day when I get up and I say, I don't want to go to work. And so this company that he's built this, you know, he and George, uh, who is the co-founder as well, but Steve himself has really, he spends the time to engage with me. I think in a lot of ways that CEOs don't engage. And for me, Mm. that's, uh, it's so motivating to have somebody in your corner and driving and, and investing in you. And so he really has, he motivates me every day. Cheers to Steve for making an impact. <laughs> Love it. Building a great company and taking people with him. Yes. That's it. Love it. That's it. <laughs> Number five. And this one is because somebody very recently in Illinois won the like billion dollar oh. lottery. So I have to ask. What would you do first if you won the lottery? Yeah, the first thing I would do, I've thought about this a lot. Actually. We all have. You know, I'm as you're thinking about you. the Powerball and your $1.2 yeah, yeah. billion, dollars, what would you do? Mm-hmm. The first thing I would do is take care of the tribe. The friends and family would come first. I wouldn't want them to ever worry about anything again, ever, ever. And so that, that would be probably the most important thing. Number two is, and my friends and I laugh about this, my best friend and I are the same way in this, there's a dog sanctuary out there with my name on it. Uh, (laughs) Yes. I mean, there just is. So one is the friends and family, two is the dog sanctuary. (laughs) Uh, You could do those, I feel like, at the same time if you win the lottery. Those could both be number one. Yes. Yes, just right there. Yes. Just the two, you're like, I've got the (laughs) ticket, deposits are down. I've got it all. On the sanctuary, we got it. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, and I imagine that after listening, folks are going to want to connect with you and also learn more about MedTrainer and the incredible things you're doing over there. So how can folks connect with you and learn more about you personally, but also learn more about your company? Sure, absolutely. You know, LinkedIn is a great way to connect. Feel free to shoot me an email, a DM on LinkedIn, or you can email me directly at amy at medtrainer.com. Super easy, best way to reach me. And, you know, I always try to get back to people as quickly as possible, but those are the two best avenues to reach me. Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming and sharing a little bit of your story and your tips and tricks to make all of us better human beings. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a great experience. My fear of public speaking, which is my number two fear, has, you know, leveled down a little bit. So thank you very much. You've made this a great experience and I appreciate the time today. Yes. Step one, taking the lead podcast. Step two, (laughs) TED Talk. Here we go. Yes. We're going to do it. We're doing that. All right. (laughs) We will see everyone next time on Taking the Lead. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Taking the Lead. If you're looking for more inspiring stories from women leaders in B2B tech, then visit us at motionagency.io slash taking the lead.